Good morning. Good to see everybody today. And as, as Chris said at the beginning, if you're visiting with us, then we're glad that, that you are here and that you've, you've decided to, to join us for worship today. Uh, at this time, our kids are going to head out to Children's Church, so they'll head out that way. And we do have a nursery in the other building as well and a, a, a cry room in the back of this building. So if you need any of that, then you're welcome to make use of that. Uh, that video, I, I used that earlier in the series we did earlier this year about the greatest command, the most important command, as Jesus calls it, because it uh, points out, and as we talked about in that series, uh, as you approach Scripture, you kind of have to have some kind of overarching way of, of filtering it and reading it, and what is going to be the core ethic through which I read Scripture. This was a common question in Jesus' day that leads him to that answer. Well, these are kind of the most important commands, and everything else falls under this. Um, And it's the same thing for us as we read Scripture, and it's the same thing that Paul wrestles with um, now that we are kind of on the other side of this transformation that he has gone through. Uh, And so we're going to think about that some this morning, specifically thinking about, okay, now that Paul has gone through this transformation, what does it look like for him to deal with the Old Testament? What we would call the Old Testament. Paul would simply call Scripture. Uh, so several years ago, I was invited for the first time to be a guest speaker at a church in Crockett, Texas, at the Grace Street Church of Christ. So if, you're gonna, like, if your town has Grace Street, it's required that there be at least one church there, right? Because that's just that's, that's a good name for a church. Uh, so I was invited to this church, and, and I didn't know much about the church, but I knew it was a fairly traditional Church of Christ. Um, and so I, I called the, the preacher beforehand. I was like, is it going to be okay if I use some videos in this lesson? If you're not familiar with Churches of Christ, videos are kind of hit and miss if you go to different ones, especially ones that have instrumental music or things like that. And so he was kind of like, uh, maybe, I think you could get away with it. <laughs> okay, that's wasn't real confident, but I had 45 minutes to fill as a young guy who had never guessed, guessed spoken anywhere, I guess. That works. So I was like, I got to fill that time with something. <laughs> um, so one of the videos was a scene from Goodwill Hunting where Robin Williams talks about his wife farting. Like, That'll be a good one to lead in with, right? <laughs> I was young. <laughs> Just... This is my introduction to people. It fit with the lesson really well. So I got that video and one other, and I don't even remember what the other one was. It paled in comparison to Robin Williams talking about farting. Um, so I had these videos at the beginning, and, and so then I'm, I'm up there kind of going through my lesson, and as I'm going through the lesson, I at one point look down, and right about where Tom is sitting, there's this elderly gentleman who is just glaring at me with daggers. I, and I, I thought, I have upset this guy already, and I've lost him. And so I start to really get kind of thrown off, because I'm like, man, this guy, he is really, really, really upset. <laughs> uh, and so I'm starting to get thrown off, and like, man, maybe I shouldn't have done some of this. And, uh, and so I, I keep going through, and like, he is still just, he is fixed on me. He, he has not moved his head, and he is just glaring. And so finally I get past, and I'm like, i got to just continue on with what I'm doing and be confident in what I'm doing. And this guy, you know, I've made this guy mad, obviously, but he's just going to have to be okay. So I go through the whole thing. Again, this is like 45 minutes. And every once in a while, I try to look other places. Every once in a while, I come back, and he's still just, I mean, death glare right at me. So the service ends, 
and I'm kind of waiting in the back, uh, you know, as people are coming out, and I know that this guy is either going to find me or find one of the elders after, after service. He's going to find someone. It's just a question of, is, is he going to go right to the source or to the people that are going to be there after I'm gone? And so sure enough, uh, it takes him a while to get through all the people because he's at the front. He makes it to the back, and he's walking straight for me, still glaring. And so I'm, I'm like, all right, I'm just going to be cool. I'm going to be calm. Just listen to what he says. I'm leaving right after this. Probably never be back. <laughs> and so it's all good. I'll just take whatever he's got. So he walks right, straight up to me, puts out his hand, says, young man, that was really good. Thank you. It's just in a very sweet way. And I thought that was unexpected. <laughs> he said, I really enjoyed it. He said, but I recently had cataract surgery. <laughs> and so these lights are really just hurting my eyes, and so I can't really see anything very well. <laughs> so he's just squinting, not glaring, squinting. <laughs> so, so I'm going to go ahead and go home. <laughs> and he left. <laughs> well, I was so concerned with this guy the whole time. I knew that he was just angry. Um, but I'm reading into this situation some of my anxieties, some of my fears, some of my insecurities. And then he tells me this, and I'm like, oh, all that makes sense now. There was a perfectly good explanation for that, um, that looking back on it, I realized, yeah, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> and so last week, as we talked about Paul, uh, we talked about how this experience with Jesus gives him a new perspective going forward. As he goes about creating these, these new communities built around the message of Christ that gives him this new perspective on, on what life looks like and, and all of those things going forward. But it also causes him to look back, and as he looks back at Scripture, now he says, oh, I, I get it. All that, all that makes sense now. Uh, I thought it was this, but actually it's this. And so when we left Paul last week, uh, he has kind of been, he's, he's met up with Barnabas now. He's had his time back in, in Tarsus to kind of walk, work through some of this stuff. Now he and Barnabas have kind of met up, and, and they're about to begin what we know as their missionary journeys. And so Paul is going to travel around setting up these little Jesus communities in, in all these towns and cities. And he's, he's writing uh, these letters that, that we know is, is kind of a good chunk of the New Testament. And so as we then go about reading his letters, knowing this new perspective that Paul has, um, I think we might think that maybe Paul is just going to say, Okay, we don't need that Old Testament stuff anymore. Now that we have Christ, uh, if we don't need to follow the law, if we don't need to religiously be following the Torah as these other Jewish people uh, are calling us to do, uh, maybe we just don't have any need for this anymore. But actually what we see is the, is the exact opposite with Paul. Paul embraces the Old Testament, what, again, what we would know as the Old Testament, wholeheartedly. He throws his arms around it. Um, D depending on what source you go to, there are various numbers on how, how many times Paul quotes the Old Testament, because some of it is dependent on, you know, w how you count different allusions that he may or may not be making to Old Testament, all things like that. But if you read, for instance, in, in the complete Jewish Bible, uh, it counts 183 Old Testament passages that Paul references. Um, he goes back to the Old, again, what we would call the Old Testament a lot. He throws his arms around it, but he goes back to it with a completely new perspective built around his understanding now of Christ. And this brings him 
to talk about the Old Testament in some pretty interesting ways um, and to look back at it um, in some, with some pretty interesting concepts, I think. Because now he looks back on, on all this stuff, again, that he has grown up learning about. He's devoted his life to, to learning and following the Torah, which is a big part of, of this scripture in Old Testament. And now he looks back and he says, you know, if you squint, you can see Jesus all throughout this story. And so we're going to look at a couple of, of what I at least think are interesting ways that Paul handles the Old Testament this morning. But we're going to start uh, in 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to look at a couple of passages from 1 Corinthians. Uh, if you want to turn along with us, uh, you're welcome to, but they're, they're going to be on the screen as well as we go through. Uh, a couple are going to be in 1 Corinthians, and then we're going to turn to one uh, in a minute in Romans. Uh, but I want you to listen here to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to start right at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 1. He says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. All right, Jamie, if you can leave that first one on the... On the um, on the screen there. I didn't really even realize this until I put it on the screen. This is just kind of beside the point, but um, I put it on the screen, and I was like, man, Paul uses the word you a lot here. <laughs> um, and so it's kind of beside the point, but I think it's significant that Paul is, is preaching this message, the gospel to the Corinthians, and then he's, I think, pretty obviously putting the, the impetus on them, say, all right, now you've got to take hold of this and take your stand for this. At some point, I've, I've preached this stuff to you, at some point, it's going to be on you. So you, 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 all these, these you things. All right. So keep going then. He says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he has appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And then he keeps going on from there talking about others that Jesus appeared to. Uh, so for Paul, this is the essence of the gospel, this idea that Jesus died, uh, he was resurrected, and then he appeared to people after his resurrection, proving that he has been resurrected from the dead. This is the, the kind of core, the essence of the gospel message for Paul. And Paul says that these, two, these first two fundamental elements of the gospel message, Jesus' death and resurrection, were in accordance with the scriptures. And so as we're reading that, it's tempting for us as kind of New Testament-focused people to think back to the Gospels. Uh, but again, as Paul is referencing scriptures, he's talking about all the way back to what we would call the Old Testament. Uh, for, for Paul, that's what scripture is. And so Paul is saying these things that we see in the Gospel message are actually what the whole narrative of our story, of our history, of our people, of our scripture, of our law have been leading to. And so that causes Paul to look back and squint and say, oh yeah, now I see where he was in that story. Uh, so for an example of that, we're going to turn over to 1 Corinthians 10. 1 Corinthians 10, we're going to start at the beginning of that. Because what Paul comes to believe, uh, as we said last week, that if, if Christ is the fulfillment of the law... 
then he has now come to believe that Jesus was the key to unlock the mysteries and the, the narrative of Scripture. That everything now comes into complete focus when viewed through Christ. And so you get to 1 Corinthians 10, and this is how he talks about this. And this is a really, this is really strange. And we're not going to get into the weeds of some of the strangeness here. But really listen to what Paul is saying here, because it sounds very odd. He says, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud that they all passed through, uh, and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Uh, Now, I don't imagine that that's how they would have described that. I don't think they saw that as a a baptism of sorts. But now looking back, this is how Paul sees it. He sees this imagery of baptism um, even in their crossing of the sea. He says, They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Uh, So that ends with this very weird phrase. (laughs) Um, that probably sounds especially weird if you're not familiar with the story of the Israelites going through the wilderness. But what happens as the Israelites are going through the wilderness is there are two moments, one closer to the beginning of their journey and one closer to the end, where they drink water. Water comes out of a rock to supply their physical thirst and need for water. It happens at the beginning and it happens at the end. And so on one hand, Paul connects that back to Christ. And he says, that rock was Christ. But if you look at what Paul says here, he says, now he's making a spiritual reference about these physical things, so we have to keep that in mind. But he says, they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. Now he could simply be talking about the spiritual nature of Christ that's going with him, with them through this journey. Uh, but there seems to be this, this thought that grew up in, in Israelite thought Uh, that if the Israelites drank from water at the beginning of the journey and at the end in a different place, then perhaps they got water out of this rock at the beginning and thought, hey, we can get water out of this rock. (laughs) We should bring this with us. (laughs) We're going through a desert. We should bring this rock with us. And so there was a common, uh, at least somewhat common Jewish thought that they take this rock that has this amazing ability to, to dispense water and bring it with them, and it's the same rock that they drink from later on. What's interesting is there's nothing in the Old Testament that would lead us to believe that. Uh, but this was a common way that, that Jewish people uh, talked about and, and thought about Scripture to kind of fill in the gaps, so to speak. And if we think about it, I think we do the same things with Scripture at times. We just don't realize it because we're, we're used to it. So, for instance, I think we see this a lot around the birth story of Christ. Think about all the imagery that surrounds the birth story of Christ, like three wise men. Uh, There's nothing that says it was three wise men or magi, as it says in Scripture. We just kind of fill in the gaps because there are three gifts, so we put three of them there. Uh, There's also nothing about animals in the birth scene. But it says he was in a manger, and so we think, oh, well, there must have been some animals around. It doesn't say anything about animals in the text, but we fill in those gaps. So we do this, too. Uh, and, and there was a very, uh, it was common for, for Jewish thinkers and rabbis and other people to get very creative with some of the ways that they thought about Scripture and filled in some of the gaps and things like that. But what's interesting to me is Paul takes that idea and, and includes it in what we think of as our Scripture, and then he says all of that ultimately points to Christ. 
This is a picture of Christ uh, and what he offers to his believers and his followers. And so you can look at this a couple of different ways, that maybe he is simply seeing all of this allegorically, or maybe he is seeing something that he missed, and now he's looking back and seeing it. But either way, he takes that imagery and he relates it to Christ, who is for those who put their trust in him an ever-present source of sustenance um, and renewal and, as Jesus calls himself, the living water. Uh, and so this was a, I referenced this. This may be the first time I've, I've quoted a tweet in a sermon, but I'm going to quote a tweet today. <laughs> I referenced this a couple of weeks ago on Wednesday night. This is a tweet from author Brian Zahn, who I think sums up this concept well. He said, the first Christians in the Bible, uh, the first Christians read the Bible, and then in parentheses, the Old Testament, not to find out what happened, but to find Christ. When Paul reads about Israel in the wilderness, he doesn't ask modern questions of feasibility, but he finds Christ. For the rock followed him, dot, 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 followed them, dot, 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 and the rock was Christ. So as we look at the ways that Paul talks about the Old Testament, he typically doesn't go into long-form interpretations of texts, doesn't go into a lot of the things that we would think of as kind of typical ways that we talk about texts and sermons and Bible studies and things like that. Instead, he pulls these stories forward, and in them he finds Christ. And he says, this is what all that was about, and now we have this Christ, and this is what he is doing for us. So Paul looks back through a different lens than he was used to and a different lens that we tend to use ourselves. And he seems to be primarily concerned with how those texts speak to a first century setting of Gentiles and Jews trying to form new community together under the banner of Christ. So one more example of this, uh, and, um, and then we'll kind of bring some of this home. So in Romans chapter 10... Um, Romans chapter 10. This one gets really technical, and so we're not going to, again, get into the weeds of a lot of this. We do our, one of our classes every Sunday morning meets in the fellowship hall, and we kind of go through sermon stuff. So if you're thinking, all right, like, I have a question about this, or I'm wondering about this, whatever, then you can come join us in that class. But this is in Romans chapter 10, verses 4 through 13. Because here, I think we see a lot of the threads that we've been looking at for the, the past few weeks really coming together. Uh, and a lot of the things that we've been talking about, righteousness, um, and, and now looking at the ways that Paul talks about the Old Testament. Because what we're going to see Paul do here is another common thing he does with the Old Testament, which is put a lot of different texts from the Old Testament together and smush them all together and say, see, this looks like Jesus. <laughs> So he takes these parts from all these different books and just smashes them all together and kind of, ta-da, it's Jesus. Um, so here's what he does. This is in Romans chapter 10. It says, Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses writes about this in the righteousness that is by the law. So here he says, so he's, he's going to make this argument that's going to proceed from Moses, saying if you start with Moses, righteousness came through the law. And so he says this, you'll see this green part is from Leviticus, where he says, the person who does these things will live by them. Uh, so then he goes on, he says, but, now listen to what he says, the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, these parts are from Deuteronomy, that is to bring Christ down, 
or who will descend into the deep, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, it is in your mouth, it is in your heart. Now, this again is from Deuteronomy, from part of the law. In its original setting, what this scripture was about was about a warning against those who did not follow the law closely. And it's the law, it's Moses saying, um, you've got everything you need to understand what to do. We can do this. Uh, the word is within you. You can follow this law and keep it. But Paul is going to take these words and now flip it and say, actually, this is about faith in Jesus. It's not about following the law perfectly. He says, that is uh, the message concerning faith that we proclaim. So then you'll see the colon, and now Paul's going to add his own commentary on to these words from back in Deuteronomy that Jewish people have always understood a certain way, that it's about the dangers of not following the law. So now Paul says, this is what we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's not about following the law perfectly. This is what we did last week, so I'm not going to go back to it fully. Uh, but again, it's just keeping all these things together. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So he goes on. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. This is from Isaiah, keeping this theme going of y'all are trying to divide up in Jews and Gentiles. That's not what this is about. Remember what Isaiah said. And then finally, he brings it all together. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That part is from Joel. So he takes these parts from all different parts of the Jewish scripture. He says, this is what all this has been pointing to. We thought it was talking about this. That worked for a time. It made sense in that time and day. Really, it was calling us to this new understanding of this different fulfillment in the law in Christ. Uh, and I want to make one thing clear, because I, I, I think it kind of goes without saying, but I didn't explicitly say it last week, so I want to make sure we hear this. Paul does not think that there is not a, a high standard of, of code of conduct that Jesus believers should be called to. Uh, Paul sees that as important, and that your faith is certainly to be lived out in the things that you do and the ways that you carry yourself the things that you care about, the ways that you treat other people, all of those things. But all of that comes as a result of knowing who I am in Christ, not as a way to earn my righteousness by doing all those things. And again, that's a very different perspective. So just to say, this is not to say that, that conduct doesn't count, that morality doesn't count, that ethics doesn't count, none of that stuff. It's about your perspective on how you're looking at all that and, and kind of which comes first. And so all of this has been transformed for Paul. Um, as he looks back and says, oh yeah, uh, I, I get it now. And so for Paul, the new covenant of Jesus doesn't make the Old Testament worthless. Instead, it infuses it with meaning and richness and texture. It reveals a depth that Paul had not yet realized. And for Paul, the gospel of Jesus illuminates now every part of life, including the way that he reads Scripture. And Jesus has now become the filter through which he not only reads Scripture, but views all of life. And so then you, later you get to Philippians. And in Philippians, uh, he writes that to live is Christ, which is a really strange grammatically thing to say. <laughs> to live 
is Christ, but his life and his worldview have been engulfed by Christ to the point that he now espouses this about his life, that my life is Christ. Not that Christ is important to me, uh, but my life is Christ. To live is Christ. And so I think Paul's writings then lead us to ask a question that if we allow it to, I think will really pierce us and cause us to ask uh, some very um, honest and thought-provoking and uh, making ourselves vulnerable questions. And one of those is this. Has the gospel of Jesus transformed the way that I see the world to the point that I see all of life as Christ? Is Christ the filter through which I view the world? Because if so, Paul argues, there are some very radical implications of that. And so as we've gone through this this kind of journey with Paul up to this point, we keep coming back to this this idea of law uh, and then finding righteousness in the law because it's what Paul keeps coming back to. And I think sometimes what we do when we read Scripture, it's easy to kind of separate ourselves from the emotional impact that some of this would have because it was a long time ago. They're dealing with different issues. And so we read about Paul continually coming back and and harping on this issue of circumcision. And there's not really a lot of connection with it for us because this isn't a theological issue for us. And and we can kind of be tempted to say, man, why won't those people get it? Like, why don't they recognize what they have in Jesus? Can't they get past this circumcision thing and, and just come to recognize what Paul is doing? And it's easy for us to kind of give them a hard time. But the essence of what they're doing is they're struggling to give up the way that they have always identified as Jewish people and turn instead to something else. And their struggle is to say, okay, I'm not going to identify and see the world first and foremost through my Jewishness. I'm going to see the world first and foremost through Christ. Uh, my citizen as a kingdom of the earthly, my, citizen is, is, um, my citizenship in the earthly place of Israel is not going to impact my worldview as much as my citizenship of the kingdom of God. And that's a difficult turn to make. Um, And that's where I think if we boil it down to that, this ancient script becomes very important for us because it's just as difficult for us to make this switch from finding our identity and our worldview, not in our Americanness, but in our Jesusness, Uh, that it's very easy for us to see the world through our citizenship as Americans more so than our citizenship to the kingdom of God. This, this, this has a great impact on how we see the world, on how we see other people, on how we read scripture, um, on how we evaluate the decisions we make, what we do with our resources, what we do with our time, what we do with our money. All of these things come into play, and it's almost impossible to completely separate ourselves from our culture, because this is the world that we are always immersed in. And so that's, I think, why Paul calls us to, to look at it, and he keeps hitting on this, because it's what you have to do if you're going to completely give yourself over to Christ. You have to say, this isn't where my identity is. My identity is in Christ. Um, which calls us to see everything else very differently than the world does and causes us to ask some very difficult, I think, questions about ourselves if we will allow it to. 
uh, for Paul, his allegiance to Christ now comes before any other allegiance, be that his prior way of understanding Scripture, his race, his education, his nationality, or anything else. And he's writing to and around people struggling to see the world first and foremost through a Christological lens. And so, to kind of go with that, I want to make this one point before we close too, because I think this this is so important. Um, So much of what Paul is fighting against is people who want to keep ethnic groups separate. Um, I'm okay if, if God goes to the Gentiles, but we've got to keep our distinct Jewishness. And Paul says, no, you've missed the point. And so we looked at the story in Acts. Towards the end of his life, when, when Paul is giving his appeal to, and kind of his testimony and story to people, uh, he goes through all this testimony and story. He says, I had this revelation, I had this revelation. None of that is, is an issue for the Jewish people. And then he says, and then God told me to go to the Gentiles. And it says, they listened to him up to that point, and then they start crying out and said, he's no longer fit to live. Because all that other stuff we were okay with, Paul. You want to start saying, we got to come together with the Gentiles. Now you're no longer fit to live. And I think Paul would be appalled, pun intended, (laughs) that our worship times are still some of the most racially and ethnically segregated times in our culture. I think if Paul came to America, he would come to our churches and be like, why does everybody look the same? I think Paul would really struggle with that. Uh, That it's harder to break away from our cultural lens when everybody that I'm in community with looks at culture the same. And it's easier to just become tied to this way of seeing the world. And and part of the, the gift of diversity and the necessity of diversity is that it reminds us that there are different ways that people experience the world and that our, our, our call is not to rally ourselves around a worldview uh, of the world and of the flesh, but a worldview of Christ and the kingdom. And, and I think for Paul, that requires diversity. It requires people coming together from different backgrounds to share in the story of Christ because it requires that our unity is not built around worldly things, but it's built around Jesus. Um, and so I am grateful. I've called Tamisha out before. I'm grateful that people like Tamisha are willing to come and be a part of our community when very few people look like her here. That's just honest. Um, and I, I hope and pray that as, as we continue in our journeys... Um, that we continue to bring in more and more people who look different in us, not, o- not only in our church, but in our lives, in our homes, in our communities, in our relationships, uh, because I think it's vital to the kingdom of Christ, and I think it's what Paul has in mind, where he says there's no difference between Jew or Gentile. Everyone is coming together. That doesn't mean you've got to make the Gentiles come in and be Jews. It means that Jews and Gentiles are moving together toward the cross. Uh, and so this morning... We're going to share. I didn't mean to say call Tamisha out. Sorry, that was bad. But <laughs> I wasn't calling you out. Encouraging uh, Tamisha to say I appreciate her and others uh, who join us and who do all those things because uh, I do think it's important. Uh, so we're going to join around the table in communion this morning and share in this meal um, and, and celebrate this Savior who unites us all um, around him, uh, around his sacrifice for us, and around the gift that we have in Jesus.
Um, and as we do that, as we typically do, we're going to stand in just a minute uh, and sing. And so if, uh, I'll invite the band to come back and lead us in song again. And as they do, I want to invite us to think, um, in what ways do I need to give my perspective, my worldview, my thoughts over to Christ? What does that look like for me? Maybe for you, it looks like putting on Christ in baptism. Uh, maybe for you, it looks like falling more and more into this story of Christ and seeing Scripture and the world and your life through this lens of Christ instead of a lens through something else. Whatever it is, um, I ask you to, to, to think about those things uh, as we sing. Um, and if, if that causes you to think of something that you want to talk to somebody more about, uh, find me, find one of our elders, come to one of our classes afterwards, continue those conversations. But let's stand and sing as we think about those things and prepare to share in communion this morning.
prayer of confession together as we prepare to share in the Lord's, <coughs> Lord's Supper. Father, we confess to each other and to you, our Creator, that we fall short of being what we were created to be and what we have committed ourselves to be. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of Christ. We often seek out the easiest paths, paths of least involvement in places where we might be uncomfortable or paths of self-centeredness. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of righteousness. We confess that we have not loved you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. Bring us out of darkness, Lord, and into the light of your love. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of light. Forgive us for getting so caught up in the world's trappings and its false messages of hope that we lose sight of the hope of the kingdom, which brings healing and peace to a world in turmoil. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of peace. May we resolve to become more kingdom-minded, to be peacemakers here and now. Amen. You may be seated. 